With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Wednesdays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. Lots of stories out there for us to dive into. Uh, Want to start, however, with the continued fallout of the national championship game, 65-7 to win for Georgia, second straight title for Kirby Smart, Seth Stetson Bennett, and the Georgia Bulldogs. And this is actually a question that my kids asked that I thought was an interesting one. And they said, hey, Dad, is Georgia a dynasty What makes a dynasty? It's a good question. And I don't think there's a direct answer. But what I told them was, in my opinion, a dynasty requires at least two championships, right? You can't have a dynasty with one championship. And probably a five-year period where that team is considered to be an elite-level team. With that in mind, I think Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs are now entering into dynasty era. Now, I also think you need multiple quarterbacks because in college football, one really good quarterback can help to camouflage the fact that the rest of the team is not that elite. And that certainly is the area that Georgia is moving into. But the second part of this was... Is Alabama also still a dynasty? Good questions from the kids. They're getting older. They're getting smarter. They're asking complicated questions. To wit, this was the storyline that came out of uh, of David Pollock sitting next to Nick Saban when he said Georgia is now the dynasty in college football. I think it can be the case that both Alabama's dynasty is ongoing with Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. Basically, ever since 2008, Nick Saban winning six championships, having the level of success that he has had in his coaching career. I think it's fair to say that the Alabama dynasty and the Georgia dynasty can overlap because Clemson, I think stepped in there for a few years and had a dynastic run with a couple of championships, multiple star quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. But I think what you saw in the past couple of years is that Clemson may have just been capable of stringing together two incredibly talented quarterbacks in Deshaun Watson and in Trevor Lawrence and may not have the longevity that we've seen with Alabama. Because remember, Alabama being really good at quarterbacks is actually a new story. Because what's interesting about Nick Saban is in the early years when he won titles, Jake Coker, Greg McElroy, those were not elite-level quarterbacks. And it's only really in the past several years, A.J. McCarron was kind of a bridge because A.J. McCarron is, I think, a pretty high-level quarterback in the college ranks. 
But he's not. I think A.J. McCarron, if he were talking to us right now, would say, yeah, but I wasn't Tua. I wasn't, we'll see what happens with Mac Jones. Uh, And certainly, I think of all the Alabama quarterbacks, Bryce Young, who I expect to go number one overall, is to me actually the best of the Alabama quarterbacks. I think the most elite talent, look, Jalen Hurts obviously is playing at an incredibly high level. Tua, Mac Jones, uh, there have been, has been a pivot to where Alabama now has NFL caliber starting quarterbacks. But Alabama's dynasty went from, hey, Nick Saban's defense is going to dominate. We're going to have great running backs, the Mark Ingrams of the world, to now we're a quarterback-driven dynasty. The method by which Nick Saban has won has shifted from defense and running with basically sort of, uh, I would say, functional quarterbacks, right? System quarterbacks in place for Nick Saban to elite signal callers with Bryce Young. And if you go look at the two losses, for instance, that Alabama had this year, they weren't because of Bryce Young at all. Bryce Young put up over 40 points on the road against Tennessee. It's one of the best performances I've ever seen from a quarterback in person. And then they didn't lose, uh, Alabama didn't, against LSU because they didn't score enough points. The defense kind of failed Saban. But I think it can be the case, I'm curious what you guys think, that both Georgia is the most dominant team in college football right now and has entered into dynastic territory while simultaneously the Alabama dynasty can be ongoing. And I would point to just last season, meaning the 2021 season, when Alabama was good enough to whip Georgia, win the SEC title, but then Georgia came back and beat Alabama to win the uh, national title. That's a functional sign that both teams are playing at an elite level. And I think certainly if Alabama had played, I didn't think Alabama deserved to play for the championship, but if Alabama had been in the Final Four, I think they would have been able to give Georgia a far better game uh, maybe than anybody else in college football. So I think it's possible that both Alabama's dynasty is ongoing but that Georgia is right now the dynastic program at its apex, and Alabama is just sort of the Roman empire of college football, still really good, but not at an absolutely elite level. I think both dynasties can still be going on. Uh, Update. Details, stories out there as we inch closer to the NFL wildcard weekend. It is beginning to look like Lamar Jackson is not going to play in the Baltimore Ravens game against the Cincinnati Bengals. If Lamar Jackson does not play, this would be an extensive injury miss for him. Uh, And it would also mean that the Ravens have a real choice to make now because Lamar Jackson has turned down their contract offers in terms of being able to pay him. And partly, I think, this is because of the uh, sort of I would say, precedent that was set with the huge contract that Deshaun Watson got from the Browns and also the huge contract that Russell Wilson got from the Broncos. And what you have to be careful of, and I'm a Lamar fan. I respect Lamar Jackson and his talent. But I also understand why he wants as much money as possible, and I think he deserves it, 
But I also wonder whether there's nervousness now in the Baltimore Raven community because of Deshaun Watson, I think, based on the way he played this year, being wildly overpaid. And certainly, with a long track record of success, you still look at what happened with Russell Wilson this year and say, hey, this has me a little bit apprehensive about wanting to commit over $200 million to a quarterback because at least unlike the Broncos, they wouldn't have to give up a lot of overall number one picks. But this is going to be a big decision for the Baltimore Ravens to make. And one thing I wonder, presuming that Lamar Jackson doesn't play, the Ravens are going to get eliminated by the Bengals. Maybe even if Lamar Jackson played, the Bengals would win because Joe Burrow and the Bengals are playing at a really high level right now. Maybe there is another team out there that is willing to give Lamar Jackson more guaranteed money than the Ravens are. Who is that team? I don't know. But there is such desperation in the quarterback ranks right now that I find this decision to be one of the most intriguing out there. How does Lamar's contract status end up getting resolved? And can the Ravens even afford not to pay him given that the games that he has set out Ravens don't look like a very good team when Lamar Jackson's not playing, right? I mean, if you're a Ravens fan and you have watched this team play without Lamar Jackson, they're very average at best. This is a, what do you think? Six and 11, seven and 10 caliber team at best without Lamar Jackson. So can they afford to not pay him monster dollars? It's a storyline that's already starting to play out and may even get put on the front edge of the narratives if, as I expect, the Bengals handle the Ravens with ease without Lamar Jackson. By the way, possibly without the backup, right? We may be on third-string quarterback in the playoffs for the Ravens. Uh, Last night, if you watched, watched college basketball, starting to pivot a bit into the college basketball realm, uh, I watched the end of the South Carolina game against Kentucky. Saw the score, said, my goodness, there's no way Kentucky's going to lose a 28-game home winning streak against South Carolina, a team that was winless in the SEC, had a losing record, and just lost at home by 43 points to Tennessee on Saturday. But it happened. And John Calipari was already on a hot seat, such that a fan was kicked out of Rupp Arena for showing up with a sign that said, please go to Texas. Now, I love that please was included here because it's very Southern. Uh, Don't go to Texas. Please go to Texas. Because John Calipari has such a big buyout that I'm not sure Kentucky could ever afford to pay him not to be their coach. And so fans are hoping that John Calipari will leave and go elsewhere. But my question for Texas fans out there Are you sure that John Calipari is the hire that you would want to make? Guy has one title in 13 years despite consistently recruiting different level talent. Now, maybe he could re-pull what he did at Memphis. He's got an elite level class committed to him now. Maybe John Calipari could go to Texas and take that elite level talent. And maybe you're looking around and you're saying, boy, since Rick Barnes left, we really haven't had that high of a level of consistent success. And given the fact that we just had to fire Chris Beard 
over his off-the-field domestic violence incident, maybe you're thinking, hey, whatever John Calipari was delivering for Kentucky, we'll take at Texas. Our standards are a little bit lower. But I'm not sure that John Calipari is the best option for Texas. And I'm not sure that John Calipari is going to leave Kentucky. And so this is a tenuous spot. Remember, early on, Kentucky people tried to argue with me, oh, John Calipari in basketball is like Nick Saban in football. That's laughably absurd now, right? Any comparison of John Calipari, even the most dyed-in-the-wool Kentucky basketball fan who loves Big Blue, is no longer saying, oh, John Calipari and Nick Saban are functional equivalents in different sports. Kentucky loves basketball like Alabama loves football. I don't dispute that. But John Calipari is nowhere near the success level of Nick Saban and what Nick Saban has done in football. And I would argue it's harder to dominate in football than it is basketball because you just have to have so many more elite players to have a really good football team than you do to dominate in basketball, where John Calipari almost always has the most talented team. Now, yes, they're young. And yes, the early advantage that John Calipari had was the one and dones. I also think NIL is actually working a bit against John Calipari because I think it's distributing talent more. Uh, But this is getting ugly in the bluegrass state. And I don't know that Texas is the ripcord the parachute savior option, even though they are having to kick fans out for saying, please go to Texas. And I would imagine that's going to be even worse after what is a really bad loss against South Carolina. John Calipari desperately needs a win Saturday on the road against a top five Tennessee team. And frankly, I don't think they're going to get it. We'll see what happens because Rick Barnes has tended to have John Calipari's number even when Kentucky has a far more talented team than they have right now. So this is worth paying attention to. Uh, Rumor over late last night that the WWE was going to be sold to the Saudi Arabian Investment Fund. Uh, That report, unless it's changed uh, in the last few minutes, has since been shot down. Um, so as you look here, uh, at what exactly is going on with WWE, I'm a longtime shareholder of WWE. Uh, they are saying that they are not sold right now to Saudi Arabia. Uh, the current CEO of the WWE, Nick Khan was my agent at CAA. Nick Khan, super talented, really good at getting deals done. He did the WWE deals television wise. And he also was the lead, uh, negotiator for the SEC's deal, that they did with ESPN recently that moved off of CBS. So Nick Khan, really good at negotiations. I think you just go wherever Vince McMahon, who is now back in the company, believes the future of the WWE is brightest. And I'm a capitalist. You guys know that I have defended uh, golfers who made the decision to go work on the Live Golf Tour. Uh, I think if... If Saudi Arabia puts the best offer on the table, when everybody looks at all the dollars and the cents and everything else, if Saudi Arabia has the best offer, I would sell to Saudi Arabia. Uh, If they outbid Endeavor, uh, if they outbid Fox, if they outbid uh, Comcast slash NBC, 
they outbid Disney. Maybe Netflix takes a look. Maybe Apple or Amazon sort of peer in here. Heck, maybe Google does. I don't know. I think there are a lot of companies that would be interested in WWE. I've been a longtime shareholder. I told all of you to buy stock in WWE because I expected that at some point their asset would sell for a lot of money. And the analogy that I made earlier, I'll continue to make it. If the Phoenix Suns are selling for $4 billion and if there are rumors that the Washington Redskins might sell for five, six, seven billion dollars or more, would you rather own all of the WWE for $8 billion? I'm just tossing a number out there. Or would you rather own the Washington Redskins slash Commanders or the Phoenix Suns? I would rather own the entirety of the WWE in this streaming universe that we're in now than one single franchise in the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, NFL, or even a couple of franchises. So I think the value here, and I'm going to stick to it, I think the WWE is worth 8 to $10 billion to the right partner. And whoever that right partner is, I trust Nick Khan and Vince McMahon, who have been very good businessmen over the year, to get the best value, whether it's Saudi Arabia, Endeavor, Fox, Disney, NBC, Comcast, like I said, Apple, Amazon, uh, Google. I think there'll be a lot of buyers. It'll be intriguing to see how this goes. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I want to give you some good news. Sometimes people say, hey, there's not enough good news out there. Well, I am the good news king, all right? Nobody loves good news more than me. And I've got good news here. The Department of Defense has ended its COVID mandate. That means there is no longer a requirement uh, that the Department of Defense uh, is able to force you to have to get the COVID shot. This is an important win. This is, as Barack Obama said, evidence that elections have consequences, okay? This COVID mandate would have never ended but for the ability of the, uh, of the Republicans in the House to both take control of the House and to insist that they get something for it as a part of their control. This is a big win. No young person should be getting these COVID shots, period. Hopefully, many colleges, universities, and other employers will follow this Department of Defense move. It's a big evolution from the days of the COVID shot mandate that I and many others out there fought against. Now, this is where we take the next step. Um, There is a study out there that is shared by Alex Berenson who has got many of these stories correct surrounding uh, heart issues for young people. And he has a story that is up right now 
that is very important that I think many people should be discussing and not surprisingly is being tamped down and not discussed in earnest. Alex Berenson has a story up on his Substack. I would encourage you guys to go read it. And the headline is as follows. Urgent. 17% of teenagers had heart symptoms after their second Pfizer mRNA jab, a new peer-reviewed paper, shows. 1% of those who got this shot had abnormal ECGs. One in a thousand had myocarditis or significant arrhythmias. Okay, we insisted that tens of millions of young kids who had absolutely zero risk from COVID, we insisted that they go get the COVID shot. Okay, zero justification for it because they were under zero risk at all and the COVID shot does not keep you from getting COVID and does not keep you from preventing the spread of COVID. So I believe, let me take a pause here, that now the Department of Defense has rescinded its COVID vaccine mandate, everybody who lost their job because they refused to get the COVID shot in any kind of public job should get their job back with back pay. I also believe that the House of Representatives, the Republicans in the House of Representatives, should end all immunity for the COVID shot from Moderna and Pfizer. We should, in my opinion, allow one of two things to happen. Either plaintiff's lawyers should be able to sue Pfizer, Moderna, as much money as they want for these COVID shots so we can try to uncover the truth about what Pfizer knew and what Moderna knew and when they knew these shots didn't work as they were advocating because it is fraud. There was a fraudulent inducement that you go get the COVID shot because they told us all that if you got the COVID shot, you wouldn't get or spread COVID. That's a lie. It's been proven to be a falsehood. It was an incentive, a fraudulent inducement for people to go get these shots that is not supported by the data. So there needs to be a reckoning for this. And either that reckoning can come from plaintiff's lawyers suing, which would be like what happened with the opioids, right? All of these different opioids that they allowed people to get addicted to and that are killing people like crazy. We wouldn't have known about that without these lawsuits. Or if the... If the uh, a vaccine immunity is is stripped, is not stripped. We need state attorney generals to sue. Okay, two outs. Plaintiff's attorneys or state attorney generals, maybe they can work together. We need a lawsuit by state attorney generals for the fraud perpetrated by COVID, uh, on the COVID shots by Moderna and Pfizer. And you could use big tobacco as an uh, example. The lawsuits that were filed against the tobacco companies. And we need deep investigations into the flaw of these COVID shots and we need a reckoning and consequences for them. That has to happen, okay? What's the best way for that to happen? One of two routes, but it involves having that COVID immunity stripped. And in particular, in the world of sports, we need deep dive investigations into whether the COVID shot is leading to more deaths of young, otherwise healthy people. 
and I keep seeing stories. These are anecdotal. I'm not claiming otherwise. But whether it's DeMar Hamlin or whether it is what happened at Air Force, which I am sick about when I read these as a dad, as a father, it is hard for me to read these stories. But I want to share the latest with you. An Air Force offensive lineman named Hunter Brown collapsed and died walking to class on Monday. He was just 21 years old. Now, I have been writing and talking about sports for 20 years, nearly. I started writing about sports uh, in 2004, which is like ancient history on the internet. Some of you have been reading and listening to me for nearly a generation now. You're the OGs, okay? I don't remember stories like this happening. I don't remember stories about athletes walking on college campuses and suddenly dropping. Now, we've always had athletes die, unfortunately. Sometimes it can come conditioning drills. We've certainly seen that. There's certainly been far too many violent acts, uh, violent, you know, gun-related fights, things like that. Certainly, unfortunately, people have died in car accidents, uh, all sorts of tragic accidents like those. But the number of high school, college, even pro athletes who are suddenly just dropping all around the world seems to be a fairly substantial trend. And when there are stories like the one that I shared earlier based on studies coming out of, uh, I believe it's Taiwan, where everyone gets the COVID shot and then you're having like a 17% incident of heart-related issues, why would we not investigate this to the fullest of our ability? I'm really disappointed by the number of people in sports media who ran like crazy with the idea that if we played sports during COVID, athletes would die. Do you remember when CBS Sports came out? I think they said eight players would die from COVID if we played in 2020. And it was totally not true. And it wasn't supported by any data. Why are all those sports media who ran around like crazy saying, hey, if we play in 2020, athletes and coaches are going to die, which didn't happen, right? Data doesn't reflect that at all. Why are they not asking more questions now that we are seeing so many otherwise young and healthy athletes dropping? And I'll use the example here of Hank Gathers, okay? When Hank Gathers collapsed in 1990, it was important to do a deep dive to figure out what was the cause of that. And it ended up that he had a heart abnormality. And as a result, it became standard for most colleges and pro sports teams to conduct deep EKGs, deep analysis of hearts to try to identify athletes that might have heart-related conditions before they actually collapsed like Hank Gathers did and died. I said the same thing about DeMar Hamlin. We need a deep understanding. And when I see people like Dr. Fauci say, You can't even mention the fact that COVID shots might be involved here. Well, if we have, as the data is reflecting, a much higher incidence of heart-related issues 
among athletes, why would we not want a deep dive here? Remember, many of the same people who said to you back in 2020, if we can save just one life, remember how often they said that? If we can save just one life, it's worth it. And I said, well, people were mad at me. I would say, well, you know, if we applied that same logic to driving cars, no one would ever drive a car because 40,000 people a year die in car accidents. And we could take our car accident death rate to zero if we ban cars, but that would then create all sorts of economic issues if people couldn't use their cars. People got mad at me when I said that. So everything is a balancing act. But shouldn't we know what these kids are actually risking when they get the COVID shot? And shouldn't a risk-reward analysis, when you get the COVID shot and you are a young, healthy person, if you get no added protection, which appears to be the case, and you increase your danger in any way, that is a risk analysis that would suggest no one should get the COVID shot. Why am I like the only person in sports media with a really big audience even asking these questions. How many different athletes and young men in particular, but also young women, have to collapse before we say, hey, let's rigorously analyze whether the COVID shot might be causing any of these incidents at all because they're definitely based on the data, is a reflection that the COVID shot creates heart-related issues. Where is everybody else in the media? They're all silent. They're all cowards. They're all complicit in selling what appears to be a lie, which is that there's no risk factors whatsoever that come from young people who have zero risk from COVID, getting a COVID shot that we barely tested at all. I'm telling you right now, my kids are not getting the COVID shot. If I have anything to say about it at all. And if I'm making that choice for my own kids, it would be a complete lie if I weren't sitting and talking to you and telling you all of these factors and all of this data, and all of this analysis. I'm not pretending to be an expert, but the job of media, and I am in media, is very often to speak out on issues that we see. Why are you hearing almost no one else even say anything? I would argue it's because most people in sports media are cowards, and they are afraid of examining what the actual data says because it may challenge their pre-existing belief system that the COVID shot was a gift from God and everybody should get like six of them. There's no reason whatsoever for young, healthy people to have ever gotten this shot. I've been making that argument since this shot came out in December and January of 2021. Go back and watch. Been making that argument. Don't need it. Young, healthy people. Back in the day, I let my parents, had a conversation with them, told them I thought it made sense for them to go get the COVID shot. Wouldn't tell them that anymore. Wouldn't tell them that anymore. I never got the COVID shot. I'm questioning why in the world 
Are many colleges and universities still demanding the COVID shot? Why are any people in their 20s, their 30s, teenagers or younger getting this COVID shot at all? It is poison. Appears to be poison to their bodies based on the data. And it may, and I stress may, may be creating actual deaths from otherwise young and healthy people. Why are we not investigating this rigorously? We must. A couple of other things. Um, Much less significant. Did you see Marjorie Taylor Greene put up a video? It's funny. Still Dre soundtrack as she walked out of her uh, office on Capitol Hill. Congresswoman uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She used Dr. Dre's iconic Still Dre soundtrack as a backdrop. Dr. Dre demanded Marjorie Taylor Greene stop using his music. This is, I think, the embodiment of the absurdity of the modern era that we have created. Dr. Dre, who was one of the great rebels in music history, who was a gangster rapper from West Coast, Compton, California, outside of LA, is offended that a congresswoman would use his music in what is clearly a parody in many ways uh, in a video about her taking over some power in the House of Representatives thanks to Republicans taking back the House. What kind of world have we entered? I also think one of the great untold stories of the modern era is how much people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, I would bet that she is a fan of 1990s rap. Just like I'm a fan of 1990s rap, just like almost everybody around my age in America is. And so the idea that we would end up in such a stultifying culture that Dr. Dre, rebel extraordinaire, would end up a voice of left-wing power and not want people to use his music is, I think, frankly, embarrassing. But emblematic of the absurd world that we live in today. Our good buddy, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete Buttigieg has managed to continue to fail as transportation secretary. That's because he has no knowledge of transportation. We've had a supply chain crisis. We've had a three-month paternity leave. Uh, We've had now, all airplanes were shut down this morning. Nobody could fly anywhere. Coming on the heels of the Southwest disruption, taking flights anywhere is a danger zone mess. But Mayor Pete is doing such a poor job that even Kamala Harris thinks that he is doing a bad job, all right? So as you break down this FAA mess, this is, I believe, further evidence that you cannot select people for jobs based on their identity. We got to get back to the meritocracy in this country. The only reason Mayor Pete has a job is because he's gay. That's the reason he has a job in the Biden White House. The only reason Kamala Harris has a job as vice president is because she is a minority woman. That's the only qualification she has. Heck, Joe Biden doesn't deserve his job, but he's managed to surround himself with people who are even more incompetent than he is because diversity and inclusion ultimately destroys the meritocracy. And in particular with the FAA, who cares what the identity of your pilot is? I want the best pilot. 
Just like I want the best heart surgeon. I want the person who is most likely to land the plane safely. I don't care at all who flies as the pilot on my plane. And I bet you don't either. Mayor Pete does. He's worried about racist bridges. He's not worried about actually being able to have the Department of Transportation functional in this country. Finally, speaking to the absurdity that we are living in the midst of right now, they have decided in both Michigan and California and probably points beyond to be in a position right now where we have decided that the term field worker is offensive. Let me repeat this. In Michigan and now in California, a variety of institutions have decided it is unacceptable to use the phrase field worker because they think it has a connection to the days of slavery. The fact that you are out in the field, that is, not in an office, and that is why you are called a field worker in the 21st century is not acceptable. We are going to continue to police language until eventually none of us are going to be able to communicate in any way at all. This is madness. This is banana land insanity. This is absurd. The words that we are not allowed to use. Never thought I would have gotten here where uh, being in favor of free speech and jokes would be a Republican base platform issue. But here we are. Left wing has gone absolutely insane. All right. Uh, I appreciate all of you. My name is Clay Travis. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the Show. I'll be with you tomorrow. Hope all of you have fantastic Wednesdays and Thursdays. And thank you, as always, for supporting Outkick.